Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The text that has been selected for our time together this morning is Luke chapter 14, verse 34 and 35. And I might want to read that text just briefly. It's already been, it's already been read in your ears, but still I want to read it because it has something in it that perhaps we may have overlooked, or at least I have overlooked for a while. The text says salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor or its saving qualities, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, isn't it strange that he would make a statement about salt and then say, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. What does salt and hearing have in common? What do they have together? What do they mean? We know that salt does two things. Number one, it acts as a preservative and a seasoning. And secondly, we know that salt can be extremely destructive. If you get salt on metal and it gets wet, then it will corrode the metal. So when salt loses its savor, that is, when you don't use it for its proper purpose, if you're just putting salt on things, you can kill the ground with salt, you can destroy metal with salt, or you can season meat and preserve meat or vegetables with salt. So he says if the salt has lost its savor, what he's saying apparently is not that salt loses its ability to preserve, but he's saying if the salt, if you don't use the salt in the right way, it's only good to be cast out. And then he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's talking about is hearing the word. That's what he's talking about. If we do not use our ears properly as they're designed, what good are they? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now this is an axiom within a bigger uh, truism. What he's saying is, listen up. Here's what your ears are good for. If they're not good for anything, cut them off, I guess. He's saying, this is what your ears are good for. Listen up. Basically, that's what he's saying. Now, God has communicated to us from heaven in what we call the Word, the Bible. This is God's Word. His communication is formed and phrased in words. His communication does not come through thunderstorms. It does not come through earthquakes. It does not come through tornadoes. It does not come through sunshine. It does not come through the flowers budding. It comes through God's Word. He communicates to us exactly what He has in mind, what He wants to tell us, what He wants us to think, what He wants us to know, how He wants us to feel, in what is called the Word. And He says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Two problems when we hear words. The first problem is, basically, we may not remember what we've heard. There have been some studies undertaken recently 
that tell us that when you listen to a lecture or someone speaking, either on a podium or simply talking to you, like I'm talking to you now, that the chances are, the, the odds are, that within an hour you will lose 75% of what you've heard. That's interesting. So you retain 25%. So you're not getting it all. And what, what the researchers have done is they've, they've said, okay, let's take some subjects and let's, let's train them to hear. Let's train them to hear so that we will train them how to hear. Not just read, but hear. Train them how to hear. And so they did. And they got their subjects up to a 60% retention. So now they're just losing 40% of what they heard. The, 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 the second problem is that sometimes when we hear something, we just ignore it. We don't hear it. We don't want to hear it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14, He said, you have ears to hear, but you don't hear. So we just ignore what we've heard or we dismiss what we've heard. Now, think of how we transmit our information to one another. The only way we are able to interact with each other is through words. Not gestures. Gestures, if we have gestures, we'll translate those into words. Not motions. Not Morse code. If we use Morse code, we'll translate Morse code into words. Not movements. Whatever our movements may be, we'll eventually transfer, translate those into words. Words are what we use as vehicles in order to get across our ideas, our emotions, to transmit our feelings, our knowledge, all the information we have in this earth comes through words. Words. And when God sent forth His Word, this is how He transmits His information to us, through words. And this is, of course, becomes a problem to some. And Jesus ran into it. When He was here, He ran into people that wouldn't listen to what He had to say. And that's not unusual. That wasn't unusual. As a matter of fact, as you read the Bible, you read this word, and I'm going to be talking to you this morning in words. So what I'm trying to transmit to you is what God has said. But let's just, let's just stop, stop for a minute and think about some of the problems that were had in the Old Testament that are revealed to us in God's Word, how that people had difficulty with His words. Adam and Eve they started right out. God told Adam and Eve, I'm, I'm, here's the garden. Eat everything you want that's in this garden, except don't eat anything on this tree. It'll kill you. It'll damage you. Did they hear what he said? Yes, they heard what he said. Eve talked to the devil about it. She heard what he said. Eve talked to Adam about it. He heard what he said. They both heard what he said. What did they do? They ate it. So they just dismissed what he said. It wasn't that they didn't hear it, but they just didn't pay any attention to it. As we move on down in, in time, in the corridor of time, we come to time where, where Noah is told to build an ark. Now, Noah was told to tell people that there was a flood coming. We know that from uh, Second, uh, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15, where he, told, where he told the people he was a preacher of righteousness. So... He preached during his time that God was going to destroy the world with a flood. 
they didn't hear. And so there were eight people saved out of that whole assemblies, uh, whole population. They didn't want to hear, although they were told. And then when the time came, when God took Abraham and chose him as a special vessel for himself to bring about a promise that he had made to mankind, that he was going to save mankind, he sent Abraham out with that message and he was going to make him a great nation. And Lot, his nephew, split up at one time and Lot went down to an area, into a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And they turned into a a hotbed of homosexuality. And God determined that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham had a discussion with God about it. And Abraham asked if if peradventure, if there were 50 people there that were righteous, would God preserve the, the city? And he said, yes, he would. He said, how about 45? He said, yes. And he kept on, he got him finally down. He said, how about 10? God said, okay, I will not destroy the city if there are 10 righteous people. So here Noah, or not Noah, Lot was in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot was telling people to get out, to come with him. And, and the only people he could get to come with him was his wife and two daughters. Four people, less than ten people in that city that could have saved the city. And as an upshot of this, Lot's wife decided she didn't want to go after all, and so she turned around to go back. Moses, when he was called, went down to the, to the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was holding all of the Israelites in bondage, in servitude, and Moses was sent to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. And he was told what God would do if he didn't let them go. Ten plagues later, after Moses told Pharaoh time and time again, over ten times they confronted each other, and the last time, the firstborn of all of Egypt were destroyed, and then Pharaoh listened. But he didn't listen for long, because then he decided he'd change his mind and go get the Israelites and bring them back. Now, over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets who were spokesmen for God continued to remind people that God was talking to them And a refrain that repeated itself over and over by the prophets was, Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. God speaks to us. And that's what we want to to focus on today. God speaks to us through His word. This is His word. And His word, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is quick and powerful. The word quick means alive. God's Word is alive. There's no other book just like this book in the whole world. Words between human beings, between us, are essential for us to express ourselves and let each other know what we feel or what we think or what we know. And words are are essential for us, for God, to tell us what He wants us to know. And so God has inspired the Word And he said, here's what I want you to know, and I have it in this book. These are my words. And he said, I'll make sure that you will always have these words. 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we'll always have these words. The Old Testament prophets were speaking by inspiration. The Holy Spirit inspired these men to say what God wanted them to say to us. They spoke by inspiration. Hebrews chapter 1 at verse 1 says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners, that is different manners, spoke to the prophets by the fathers, has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Okay, so Jesus is the one who's going to speak to us through the Word. Words are so important, and I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm emphasizing that. Words are so important. Communication is important. So important that when Jesus came to this earth from the Father, He was God in the flesh, the Bible calls Him the Word. John chapter 1 at verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Word was with God, and the Word was God. God the Father put His Son Jesus on this earth for one purpose, that is to express His will to us, and to carry out His purposes in saving us. He came for that reason. And when Jesus came, He said, I'm going to tell you what my Father wants you to know. That's what He said. In John chapter 5, verse 30, He said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father. In John chapter 8, verse 26, He says, I have many things to say. And to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Jesus heard what God said, the Father said, and he, he's telling us. He's passing that word on. In John chapter 12, verse 49, he said, I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Therefore, it behooves us when we think about what does God want? How is He talking to me? We need to pay attention. We should pay attention to the Word because this is what He's saying. He's talking to me through the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? He's talking about the Word spoken by Jesus and then the Word spoken by the apostles. Now what I'm going to say is that God has said everything He's going to say in this book. That, that's it. He's not going to say anything else. He's not going to approach you in a dream and say, hey, I've got, some, I've got a message for you. I want you to hear what I have to say. He's not going to, he's not going to approach you in a vision. I know that because the apostle John said we don't add anything or take anything from what God has said. In, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, at verse 18, he says, I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If what you hear in a dream is not completely consistent, and as a matter of fact, exactly like you read in the Bible, you're getting the wrong message from somebody. It's not God. It's not God. 
He says, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So, and Paul said it also in, in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the gospel, to the gospel of Christ, into the grace of God, unto another gospel. But there is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So it's possible that when we read this book, that we can get a perversion if we're not careful and keep it within its framework and its context. I know there are a lot of people that believe a lot of different things in this world religiously, and they point back to this book and say it's because it's here. What we have to do and what we're, what we're required to do is take a look and make sure that we find the words in their proper framework and in their proper context. Paul told Timothy to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly dividing didn't mean to tear it apart. It means to rightly apportion it. Put it in its proper context. Make sure that you have it right. Now, I said all that. What I said was, and what I showed from the Scriptures was, number one, God wants to talk to you. Number two, He's going to speak to you, and He's going to speak through His Word. He did that through the Old Testament prophets. And he did that through Jesus. And he did that through what the apostles and prophets wrote down that they were inspired to speak and to say. So we have in this book what God is wanting to say to you. Specifically to you. Now, when we look at the book, we can make some remarks about God and His Word. Those of us who have read this book, have read the Bible we can reach some important conclusions. That's why you should read it. So you can, read, you can reach a conclusion beyond the fact that it's a magnificent book. It's an awesome book. It's an impressive book. It's a book unlike any other book in the whole world because it's the Word of God. Now we can make that conclusion. We can draw that conclusion. You would be hard-pressed to draw the conclusion unless you read it. And you can compare it with other books, with other doctrines, etc., that have come along. And you can make the comparison, and you can lay them side by side and say, well, what does this book look like in relationship to the Bible? And you'll be stunned to find out that this Bible stands head and shoulders, oh, further than that. It stands as high as the heavens over the earth than any other book that has ever been written purporting to come from God. This is the book. This is it. This is God's Word. And it is God's Word because we understand that every syllable in it, every word in it, is true. It's right. It's truth. God's Word is truth. There are no lies in this book. There are no lies. There's no subterfuge. There's no wrangling around and going around the bush and not coming out straightforward. There's no gilding in this book. There's no glossing over in this book. It is the unmitigated and unvarnished truth. That's what this book is. Sister, it is powerful. It is right. It's truth. God's Word is reliable. We can trust it. We can stake our lives on it. 
When we read it, we'll not be disappointed or unsteady because the Word of God does not change. I used to make this statement, and I can make it to you too, a long time ago when I was talking about the theory of evolution and how it has changed over the years, but I can make this statement about the Bible. It's said that in the Louvre in France that there are five miles, five literal miles, if you stack the books side by side, of scientific books that have changed. They've changed. This book does not change. It says the same thing. It says the same thing today it did 2,000 years ago. The very same thing. It's not unsteady. It's reliable. We can stake our lives on it. We won't be disappointed or become unsteady because what we read. It, it, God does not confuse us in His Word if we put it in its context. If we read it as, it as it was supposed to be, He will not confuse us or embarrass us with vacillation. He won't change back and forth. When you read this book, that's it. This is it. Now, here's some things we can say about God's Word. Here's some things I want to say about God's Word. First of all, it's solid. This Word is solid. It is solid. It's as solid as God Himself. That's why we read in John 1 1, in the beginning of the Word, the words were with God, and the Word was God. This book is as rock solid as God Himself. That's amazing, isn't it? God's Word is wholesome. It's wholesome. It will only make you better when you read this book. It's wholesome reading. You don't have to be embarrassed when you read this book. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide it behind another cover of another book, ashamed that you're reading it. This book is wholesome. It's good for you. It's good for your children. It's good for your friends. It's good for your grandchildren. It's good for everybody. Everybody who reads it feels good because it's a wholesome book. It's genuine. There's nothing sneaky or treacherous about it. There's nothing that will sneak up on you. There's, nothing, there's no conspiracy in this book. It's genuine. It is what it is, and it has no smoke and mirrors in it. God's Word strengthens us. It's strengthening. When you read it, you'll feel stronger. You'll feel stronger inwardly. God's Word will lift your spirits. It will make you feel better. If it's a cloudy day and you're reading God's Word, you'll feel your, your spirit will come up. It'll be sunshiny in your soul. That's what God's Word does. God's Word elevates your soul, raises you above the problems of this earth. God's Word will enrich your life. It will make your life a better life, make it better to live. It will ennoble your character. It will make you a better person. You read this book and let these words come into your life, it will make you a better person. It will encourage virtue. It will encourage you not only to respect virtue in other people and good character in other people, but it will make you virtuous. Add to your faith virtue, James said, or Peter said. It will excite your desire to do service to others. You wonder why so many people want to help other people. It's probably because somewhere in their life they've come in contact with the principles taught in this book. Really. It will encourage you to give your life as service to others. 
It will exalt that which is genuine and good in you. It will fortify your hearts during troubles. It will take away your fear of death and replace it with hope. God's Word will bring peace to your fevered brow. Let's just say it. God's Word is good. His Word is good. It is a good Word. And that brings us, basically, to where I want to be today. And that is our words. Now then, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 37 says this. And what I want to say before I get too far along, when you read God's Word, you're reading about God, who He is. He is what His Word says, basically. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 37 says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. You know what that's saying? You are what you say. Wow. You are what you say. It's easy to ignore that we actually live by our words. It's easy to ignore that. We think we live by what we're doing. Unless you realize that what we're doing is what we have been taught in our words to do. What we are within ourselves. What we say determines who we are. And what the intentions of our hearts are. Our words govern our presence, our present, and our future. Without words, oral, vocal, or written, we would be entirely isolated. You would know nothing about me without my words. Without somebody's words. Somebody would have to describe me in words as who I was. If I couldn't speak myself, somebody could tell you about me. Or I could make signs that would be translated into words. Without words, there is no such thing as abstract knowledge. No such thing. There would be no books. I'm talking about our words. There'd be, watch it, without words there'd be no email. No texting, without words. No telephone calls. No radio, no television. No interaction, no content of life without words. Gestures and signs are meaningless without the interpretation and definition of words. When a baby is born, you know what? You know when he's hungry. Why? Because of how he's behaving. But you know your understanding that means hunger. That's a word. So we interpret by words the actions that we see. When a dog is angry, we know that he is upset. And words tell us that. We're defined by that. We're defined, we define ourselves and everything around us by words. They have the most powerful impact upon our life of anything other than faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ is brought about by words. 
hearing the gospel of Christ and believing the words that we have here from God. And because of that, there are some, there are some warnings in the Bible. There are warnings in the New Testament. And one warning is, James 1 at verse 19, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Wow. So I should be quick to hear what you have to say and slow to answer, slow to speak. We've, we're always taught or have been taught, I was taught when I was younger, to think about what I was going to say before I said it, to make sure I was saying the right thing. The things that we say have a permanent impact on people that hear them. It's not just words in the air. What I say affects you. What you say affects me. James chapter 3 at verse 1 and 2, I'm going to read this, gives a warning. And that warning is to me, basically, and to you also. But let's just make it apply to me. The warning to me is that I better be careful what I'm telling you. Because if I lead you astray, I'm responsible. So if I'm going to tell you how I think you ought to behave and what you ought to do, I better be sure, dead sure, that I'm right in what I'm saying. If I'm not right, don't say it. I shouldn't say it. This text says, My brethren, be not many masters. That's the word teacher. So if I'm going to tell you what you ought to be doing, where you ought to be going, how you ought to be feeling, how you ought to be behaving, I better be right. Because this text says that I will receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. That is, we make them stumble. We make somebody stumble. So if I tell you something wrong, and you make an error, make you offend, then that's on me too. In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Ill-advised and harmful words can create tremendous problems for ourselves and for others. Jesus said that the devil is a liar. And he is the father of it. So whenever lips spread a lie, tell a lie, that's the devil using that medium to get across damage to other hearts and lives. That's the devil at work. The devil uses the tongue of man to harm and to do hurtful things. He's a liar. And he's the father of it. And the lie actually is those deceitful words that lead us astray, obviously. We, we hear a lot of things all the time. This world is full of words. Turn on your TV, turn on your radio, listen up, look on Facebook, whatever you do, you're going to hear some lies. You're going to hear lots of them. And it may be hard for you to decide in that mist of fog of lies, hard for you to decide, decide what's right and what's wrong. And the blame is partly on us because we don't investigate properly. But it's also involves the person that's spreading the lie, whether deliberately or not deliberately. Now, I'm going to turn to another text. This is where I'm wanting to come all morning with you. James chapter 3. I read just part of it, but I'm going to read the rest of it now. And that, in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, 
The text says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either the vine fig, so can no fountain yield both salt water and fresh. Those are, those are powerful words charged with meaning. What it's saying, obviously, we don't even have to interpret that. We don't even have to explain that. It's saying that, that our tongue is damaging. It can damage. It can do a tremendous amount of damage. What we say and what we think and what we express thoughtlessly can hurt people. Sure, we've heard this statement all of our lives, I guess, or I have. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never harm me. That's not true. Names, calling names can break a heart, can destroy a life, can destroy your reputation. False and treacherous words lead people astray. Now, there are a lot of different churches that exist, a lot of different religions that exist that claim their basis on this word. And people can be led astray by what they're saying without checking the Word of God and making sure that it's coming from God. Now, the, 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 fault, the major fault lies with the person who's starting that error, but then the fault also passes on to those who propagate it. So if I pass it on to you and you pass it on to someone else, they pass it on to someone else, the damage is still being done and it's being compounded. How do you stop that damage? You go back to the Word. In the churches of Christ, we've had a saying over the years, and it's a good saying. The saying is, if you believe something, show me. Show me book, chapter, and verse. And then when you get the book, chapter, and verse, then you get the context, then you get the meaning, then you understand, and you put it in its proper perspective, and you'll know whether it's right or wrong. That's the point. So without, without this check... We, without being able to check against that error, we're, we're kind of lost at sea. Unfounded stories, narratives lead to false conclusions and bad acts. Mean and unkind words that are careless or deliberately spoken damages hearts. It doesn't make any difference if you started the lie or not. If you propagate it, if you pass it on, you're damaging people, maybe inadvertently, but because you just took it for granted that this was the truth, and you pass that on, then you're, you're hurting. I'm hurting someone. It's a simple way. We have a simple way of comparing our words. Now, I didn't want to come to this lesson and say, okay, here's what you're doing wrong. That's not my purpose. What I want to do is say, how can we get some good words? How can I, I get good words? You know, you're just as good as your word. Let's, let's compare our words with God's Word. Okay. First of all, God's Word is solid. Is your Word solid? Now, I'm going to compare my Word to God. 
Is my word solid? Is it firm? What I'm saying? Is it rock solid? God's word is wholesome. Is my word wholesome? When I talk to you, when I, when I speak to you, do I sully your life? Do I destroy your life? Do I make your life dirty? Or do I help you get, keep it clean? You see what I'm saying? I'm comparing my word to God's word. God's word gives me the comparison. God's word is genuine. God's word is, is not treacherous. God is, God is not uh, saying anything sub rosa. He's not saying anything with malice of forethought. He's saying things genuinely. He's expressing himself in a way that you can say, okay, he really means what he says, and that's, that's important. How about my word? Is my word genuine? Does it come from a genuine heart? Jesus met a fellow one time and he said, Behold, he said, a, a Nazarite in whom is no guile, no subterfuge. God's word is strengthening. When you talk to me, do I tear you down or do I build you up? That's the, that's the test that I have to make to myself. What am I doing when I talk to you? Am I, am I making you stronger as a person? Or am I chipping away the ground underneath your feet? What am I doing when I talk to you? God's Word lifts our spirits. God's Word is not a downer. Unless, of course, we're in opposition to His Word. If we're crosswise with Him, then, of course, it, it doesn't lift us up. It, it makes us hit our knees and say, Lord, please forgive me. And when we're forgiven, then we're lifted up. He will lift us up. But when I'm talking to you, when we're talking back and forth, does my word lift your spirit? Does it make you feel better about life even when you talk to me? Does it elevate your soul? God's word elevates your soul. Does, does my conversation with you enrich your life? Or does it take away something out of your life? Does it ennoble your character? Does it make you feel better about who you are? Or does it make you feel like you're less of a person than you were before you talked to me? God's Word encourages virtue. Is that what my Word does? Do I tell you a dirty joke? Does that encourage virtue? Did I tell you something harmful? Do I make fun of someone? Does that encourage virtue? God's Word excites our desire to do service to others. Do I excite your desire to help somebody else? My word, is that what I say? Do I exalt what is genuine and good in you? Or do I criticize you and bring you down so that your candle doesn't shine quite as bright as my candle shines? Do I try to chip away at your character so I can make myself look better? Does, do my words help you during your time of trouble when you're feeling desperate? What do my words do? Of course we know that we don't love in word only, but also in deed and truth. So we have to do what our words tell us to do. But just, just speaking to you, and just talking to you, will my words fortify you and help you get through your troubles? Or will it stop you short and pile some more on and tell you, you can't make it. Don't try to swim the other shore, you're going to drown don't try to get up off your knees because somebody's going to knock you down again. Is that what my words do to you? Or do they say, stand up. You're good. You can make it. You're all right. 
Does my words, do my words take away your fears? Help you face the future with less fear and, and fill you with hope? God's Word does. Does my word bring peace or do I create trouble and anxiety in you? God's word is good. Is my word good? That's the question I have. Now let me say this. Years ago, people used to be able to strike bargains, in this country at least, we know, and others, with a handshake. I know we can't shake hands during the COVID virus 19. We can't do that because we'll trans transmit uh, diseases or germs. But the time was when a person could borrow a great sum of money on a handshake and their word. Why? Because your word is just as good as you are. You are as good as your word is. God help you to be as good as as your word is, and help your word to be as good as you are. Thank you.